Well, good morning, everyone. I was thinking this morning of an adventure I had last year in Zimbabwe. I was given an opportunity to go on a lion walk for two hours. What that means is that a couple wild lions accompany you and one local dude, and you're able to walk with the lions on the open savanna. Now, how many of you would be into that? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Now, the rest of you, all the hands down, how come? Why won't that be appealing to you? I think we all know, right? Well, this is what my local guides told me. They go, Jeff, we are training these lions to be released out of captivity. And they're in the middle of their training. In about three, four months, we're going to set them free. I said, well, is it good and safe for me to have a lion walk with lions you are training to be released from captivity? And they go, oh, we think we'll be OK there. Yeah, I think they'll like you. Well, he was a little hesitant, but I decided to pay the 75 US. It was worth the profile Facebook pick, I was convinced, <laughs> to go ahead and take the risk. Now, they were very clear with me. They go, of these two lions, there's one you can touch, and the other you can't. The one is just ready to be released, like in a couple weeks. But the other one, you can just like touch its back. So you can get your profile pic in a couple minutes, and it should be an awesome photo. I go, oh, great. So we hit the savannas, and the lions were awesome. They were friendly. One of them came along and just plopped right in front of my feet, and almost, you know, I almost tripped over and fell. And I reached down to touch it. They go, that's the wrong one. You don't touch that one. I go, OK. <laughs> and they took a stick, and they hit it. And I go, what are you doing that to the lion? Because we're teaching it and training it not to be friendly anymore. It has to catch antelopes and all that. So if it falls in front of you like a big house cat, Bad lion. I go, OK. Well, then I looked at the markings of the lion, and I saw the one that was safe for me to touch. So we're going over to the rock to get the profile Facebook pic. Both lions beside me. I thought, this is like the oath. Who doesn't want that, right? And I was just putting my hand down on the safe lion. I, I knew which one was safe. And just as I was doing it, smiling for the photo, suddenly when I put my hand on its back, it turned its mouth and just headed for my arm. And I got the photo of me moving my arm just in the nick of time. Thank God. And then I jumped away from the lion, and it got back cozy you know, on the rock. I go, what's going on? The, the dude almost bit me. I thought you said he was tame. And the local goes, well, possibly I was wrong. <laughs> he said, you know? I'm not even sure lions are ever tame. I think when they're in captivity, he said, they pretend that they're tame. And I go, well, why didn't you tell me that beforehand? He goes, you told me you believe in God. I figured you'd be safe. And look, you are safe. The lion didn't beat you, so what's your problem? He wanted his 75 bucks. 1 Peter 5.8, be clear-minded and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Now, remembering my moment there on the rock with those two lions, I've been so aware the past five years that when it comes to the stewarding of our minds, 
there is someone who is only in one way like God, and that's the devil. This is how he likes, he is like God. He's looking for someone. God is always pursuing you and I with his passionate love. Amen, everybody? But there's also an enemy, a liar, who equally is in pursuit, particularly of our minds. And the command here, and the exhortation is be clear-minded. I almost think that's countercultural today. Who's clear-minded? Anyone here? The challenge for us in these, this season of life, before I think things in the world may potentially get progressively worse, politically, economically, that's unless Trump becomes president. Um, I won't go there. But let me just say this. Things are probably going to be changing, maybe not for the best in the months a year ahead, in years ahead. So the challenge from God for us as his people is to be clear-minded. But how on earth do you do that? There's a man who stumbled into um, an eagle egg. And he took the eagle's egg and he went to a hen, a barnyard hen, and put it in her nest. A couple days later, the eaglet hatched and there was a brood of about 20 other chicks. And in the years ahead, the eagle did everything that the chickens did. For it was literally convinced it was a chicken. It got and grew very old. And one day I looked up in the sky and saw a magnificent bird against the clear blue sky, gliding amongst the currents with golden wings that hardly moved. And he looked up in awe and wonder and said to his brothers and sister chickens, wow, who is that? And his neighbor said, that is the eagle, the king of the birds. He belongs to the sky. We belong to the earth, because we're only chickens. So the eagle lived and died a chicken, because that's who he thought he was. You and I were born for the sky. We were born for God. But I'm afraid in our thinking, because we're often surrounded by many chicks in a positive and negative sense, in our minds, we've been robbed of a certain sense of power and nobility. But I believe in this era of time, God is wanting to awaken. So let's talk for a moment at how do you and I, when it comes to our true identity, as totally, as having a totally given, unearned identity, how do we preserve the nobility that is in our hearts? Let's look here at the mind of Christ. As it says up here in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. It's already a done thing. So when the exhortation is to be alert and to be clear-minded, it's not an impossibility. It can be a living reality for you and I. But God, through scripture, through presence, through our bodies, through our story, can help awaken us to the mind of Christ that's already within us. But first, you and I need to undergo learning how to train the wild hawk of our mind. I have a buddy who has a wild hawk that sits on his arm. 
And he didn't take the time the first couple months to train it because he just thought he was a cool dude with a hawk on his arm. You know? He'd go hang out in South Africa in Cape Town, you know, and hoping people would gather around him and ask him about his hawk. But the hawk would always peck at him, steal things. The, the nature of the hawk is very conniving, trying to get what it wants. And finally, my friend decided, this is not working. I'm not the cool dude with the hawk. It won't even stay on my arm. I got to train him. Now, he's trained his hawk so well, his hawk is able to deliver messages and do things for him. And a crowd of people gather around him in Cape Town and are amazed. But he had to take the discipline and the time to train the wild hawk to serve him. Friends, when it comes to our minds, our minds are a good servant, but a poor master. We need to accept the invitation to train our minds to become clear, to envision the most lovely being in the universe who is our God, that we could be transformed into the same image. Right, friends? It says, imaginatively behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, and you will be transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to the next. Let's see how training of the mind works. Let's learn some things here together. Then I'm going to get your feedback here in a bit and see what you've learned. In training the wild hawk of the mind, I know when I go to a place of prayer, find that sacred place, try to center and focus on Jesus, all of a sudden, distracting thoughts consume and overwhelm me. Is anyone like me? Let me see your hands. My first recommendation, this is something I'd like you to practice this week. I think you and I need to own identity practices. And what identity practices are is those things that remind us that we're an eagle, not a chicken, that we were made for God, that there's nobility in us. So the first point when it comes to training the wild hawk of the mind is this. Let's go ahead to the next one. Meet thoughts and feelings with stillness, not commentary. The verse says, be still and know that I am God. If you and I fight our thoughts, we empower whatever we fight. You agree with me? I'm not going to think that. All of a sudden, I'm thinking that. When we're still and know that he is God, we meet thoughts that tell us we're, we're not desirable, we're not gods, we're the chicken instead of the eagle, whatever your thoughts may be. If it's wanting to sexualize your need for intimacy, all the struggles that are common to man that Jesus struggled with in his thought life, so do you and I. Let's practice this week. When those thoughts come, be it negative, be it distracting, just have a moment of silence. It's like I feel in my mind sometimes like a cocktail party, right? People talking, conversation. Immediately, when I enter into a conversation, become part of that cocktail. Once our imagination is engaged in commentary with a thought, we are disempowered. You agree with me, you guys? We cannot enter into conversation with those thoughts, or we will be led from the mind of Christ into our own fleshly way of thinking. We have thoughts or feelings, or thoughts or feelings have us. I see our identity in Christ as like the mountain, all right? Secure, stable, never changing. 
And then I see our thoughts and feelings as weather around that mountain. We are not the weather. Weather is bad someday, comes and goes. And you and I, knowing who we are and being alive and awakened to that, can trust the mountain will never move. Sometimes as new Christians, I think we're more alive and aware of the love of God before we get so complicated in our living and sometimes lose that sense of first love, don't we, you guys? In Revelation, it says, return what you did or what you thought at first, when you first knew him. We did some science and solitude the last couple days, and we'll be doing some today after training and teaching. And I remember way back, there was a retreat where a bunch of Christians who had known God for a long time, most of their thoughts cluttered with many things, but there was a woman who was a pro had just come out of prostitution. She only had known God for it's probably a, a couple weeks. We didn't know she came out of prostitution. So one of the first spiritual exercises in that retreat was to send everyone up on a hillside and ask God, what do you feel about me? She went with everyone else. We didn't know that she didn't have a Bible. A couple hours later, everyone reconvened. We said, come up and share what you feel you heard from God. And a lot of those who'd known God for a long time would say, this is really hard for me. My mom was so cluttered with things. When suddenly this woman stood up, her, the paper in her hand was shaking, and she could hardly look at it. You can tell she'd never stood in front of a group of people before. And she stared at the ground as she spoke. She said, you can tell by my English, it's very bad, and I am poorly educated. But when I went up on the hill, to ask God, what do you feel about me? I thought I was going to take a nap. Because no one gave me a black book. Without the Bible, I thought, surely he won't say anything to me. Then I silenced my mind and said, God, I could only imagine, me who was a prostitute two weeks ago, how you must feel about me. But then all of a sudden, I heard a song. I heard words and began to write them down. And I'm going to read these words to you. And I don't know if this is your God, but this is my God. Listen. And she wrote the, read these words. Arise, my love, my lovely one, come. The winter is past and the rains are gone. The flowers appear as a season of song. My beautiful one, arise and come with me before the dawn breaks and the shadows flee. For you ravish my heart with just one look. And with tears rolling down her face. She says, I ravish the heart of God. She didn't even know the book of the Songs of Solomon existed, friends. And God sung to her the inner music of her belovedness to him. How long, new friends, has it been since you've heard that song for you? And that hearing of the song and having your identity rooted in the mountain of that song can withstand any weather that goes on as long as you and I remember, as long as we are our thoughts and feelings, I don't see you for who you are. I see you through how I am. My dysfunctions, my fractures, my issues, I'll say that again. When I am the weather, my thoughts and feelings, I don't see you for who you are. I see you through the lens of my dysfunction who I am. So this week, let's practice 
meeting thoughts and feelings with just a moment of stillness. We're going to try that, everyone? Let's go on to the next. Once you've done that, name the thought. If it's lust, if it's anger, give it a name. Unfortunately, when the enemy, who doesn't want us to be clear-minded, wants to clutter our minds, will not come and say, I am the devil and I am lust. <laughs> or we go, I bind you in Jesus' name and we move on. But taking every thought captive involves recognizing the identity of that thought. Don't own it. It's not yours. Give it a name. Does that make sense? So the thought comes, and you know it's not the mind of Christ. You immediately have a still moment. You give the thought a name, even if it's just distraction. And once we do that, next. Dis detachment, move from being a victim of what is happening in your mind to a stable witness. Detach from that thought, it is not yours, let it go. The beauty of detachment is we train the neural networks of our mind to not own any longer those things that are not true and not the mind of Christ. And once you begin to practice this identity practice, your mind will naturally start gravitating to the nobility and dignity of who you are in Christ. And then lastly here, whisper your sacred word. Could we take a moment this morning and come up with a sacred word, something that means something very personal, that means something important to us as we think of the person of God? It may be peace, it may be healer, it may be home, it may be warrior. However you would say in a word something personal between you and God, this week, let's allow our sacred word to bring us home. Let's pause for a moment. I want you to think of a special word. The reason I say word and not phrase is when it comes to breath prayers, there's things when we're busy and we pull away and we could say Yahweh or home in our minds. Sacred words are anchors in our thought life, are anchors of identity. And suddenly in a moment, it's not about, again, amount of time, it's about the quality moment. Let's not feel the pressure that we need to spend all these hours with God. If you have that, wonderful. But he loves we ravish his heart with just one look. You guys, a look is quick. <laughs> you know someone loves you. If you ravish their heart with that simple look, imagine what happens when you gaze at God. Imagine what you do to him. And as you see what you do to him, imagine what he does to you. The psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord every day of my life. In these latter times, God is looking for a bride who's learning and being trained how to gaze upon him. And when you see the most passionate being in the universe return the gaze and transfixed on you, it changes everything. And the weather on our mountain could be bad one day or good the next, does not determine how we feel. An important thing I also would like to mention, after we name the thought and say our sacred word, to be clear-minded and alert, 
a point I want to make regarding my bo our bodies is this. Anywhere you put your mind, you also put your body. Let me say that again. Anywhere you put your mind, you also put your body. The commandment of all commandments that says, love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, as some translations link strength with body, there's a holistic loving of God that believers are being challenged today to step into the river of. Do you want that? Taking responsibility not only for these prayer moment times, but it's just as spiritual to watch what we eat, to watch our attitudes. Let's listen to a couple comments out of a, a Time magazine article that links our body and mind. And then I want to hear from a couple of you. How have you seen choices you've made with your mind affect your physical body? So I'm giving you a heads up so you can keep that in mind. Let's listen to these, the, a couple findings from Christian neurosciences regarding our body. Let's start off with Larry. I love Larry's voice, don't you guys? So the opportunity to be able to hear him, read something true, I'm looking forward to. Thank you. The power of hopeful thinking. Just like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Hope, faith, and charity. Write them on the tablets of your heart. As we think hopeful thoughts, it affects our bodies. What does that make you think? Any examples anyone has here? How choices you've made with your mind, you see how it affects your physical body. Again, God is so holistic in wanting us to approach him and truth. So let me hear from a couple of you. What's it making you think before we hear another example from Victoria in a moment? Choices you've made with your mind that has affected your body. Or maybe as he was reading that, it made you think a thought, something you'd like to share. We just have some one or two people pipe in. What do you think? Yes. Thank you, Pam. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Very good. Totally. Right. Very, very good, Pam. That's beautiful. The walls of Jericho would never have come down if they just sat and prayed about it. They had to walk around the city. 
God is blessing a people who is merging mind, body, and spirit. Let me hear someone else. Who else has something in this arena you'd like to say? Anybody? Okay, while you're thinking, oh, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, totally. It's huge. I had a problem a couple of years ago with very critical thinking. Instead of uh, a mind of belief, I overanalyzed things. Now, those of you who know me, my background was I was a Mormon before a Christian. I was a Mormon priest and was working on becoming a god someday. And so my whole mind was filled with that as my goal. I know, that'd be scary, me as a god. I know. <laughs> but even two years ago, I found, I mean, that kind of first 20 years of my life, I have a mind tendency towards criticalness and suspicion because I was fooled with 20 years of my life. I saw that re-emerging a couple years ago. Once I begin to detect that and walk through the practice I just mentioned, I have not been physically sick for two years. I'm always reluctant to say that, especially when I'm in a place more than a few days, I can wake up tomorrow morning, all of a sudden sick. I hope it's not the case, but the point being, God looks at us as whole people. And as we watch how we think, there's a blessing on our lives. Let's hear another example from Victoria. Thank you very much. What does that make you think when you hear that? When the mind and body are integrated in one, no mediator is needed. Weren't we created to be whole, mind, body, and spirit to work together and be anchored in truth, right? But I'm just like you. I struggle with giving in at times at wrong ways of thinking. And when my body is weak and vulnerable, I have more of a tendency to let my thoughts go astray. One such case, my last day um, last year in Harare, Zimbabwe, the capital city, I was supposed to go with a group of friends down where the homeless children was living. 
and I was tired and weary, didn't feel like doing it, and yet I paused for a moment and just felt a sense that it was the will of God for me to go. So we went into the heart of the city, we're playing with the kids, and all of a sudden this drunk guy who was singing loud, distracting us from what we're doing, trying to get our attention, my mind was thinking, you don't deserve my time. The children do. You're just a drunk person. And I, my, so negativity regarding how I was thinking about it began to consume my mind as I was playing with the kids. And then suddenly he stepped forward, pushed the child away, and said, you have only been praying for the kids. Why do you pray for me? Now, again, I already allowed myself to go from negative thoughts to a bad attitude, all right? But then when you're a teacher, what we don't like about it, right, Chris, is your words come back at you when you're not wanting to hear it. <laughs> all of a sudden, I realized I need a, just a fraction of a second, a silent moment. Because my frustration, my attitude was not where it needed to be. So I paused for a moment, and my complete thought process changed. I felt and sensed the whisper of God say, this is my son too. How could you say no to someone who is asking you for prayer even though they're drunk? I let go of the child for a moment and go, just a moment, I'm going to pray for this brother. Right after I prayed for him, and I'll admit it was a courtesy prayer and it was a quick one. <laughs> no profound unction of healing or hope, just basically did what I felt I needed to do. Right when I finished, he completely became sober. In a voice of authority, he says, you and your friends need to follow me to your car now. So we followed him because it was such a sense of God speaking, yes, through a drunk man. What, how does that settle with your theology? Walked over to the car, got in the car, and right when we closed the door, Bricks and rocks started pelting all over the car. We started the engine, started to head forward, a huge mass crowd of angry people. We peeled out and rode away, and we found out later that they were getting ready to kill us. That they thought we were conspiring against the government, and a couple of other Americans were killed a week before. Friends, if I didn't listen to my teaching, which isn't mine, but truth of God, I wouldn't be here today. Are you hearing me, everybody? The mind is that important to God. How today can we respond to God in such a way that this week enter into a new way of thinking that's not so new because Christ is already in us to think with us? The next point I'd like to make, and I'll just have, Susan, if you could read this next slide out loud for us, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> We've been talking about this on our mindfulness retreat. There's exciting findings by Christian neurosciences that at any age up to about 85 years old, our minds can change. Rewiring can happen. 15, 20 years ago, they weren't saying that was true. And now they're finding out we can change. When it comes to remembering certain hurts and wounds of our past, or feeling the emotions of other people, and feeling the emotions of God, 
The Father has given us truth that can set us free. That we can actually remember our pain in a different way once we step into a way of rewiring the past with the help of the Spirit and presence of God. Isn't that exciting, everyone? That God's truth that has always been true is now being released to us, and it just shows the power and capability of you and I becoming people who could anticipate our future in more powerful ways by reaching back with the help of the Spirit and walking in practices where our thoughts are rewired. We do not have to be products of the pain, hurts, and wounds of our past. I remember late at night at Last Day's Ministries when I was leading it with Melody Green in the late 90s, there was a knock at my door from a British couple. I opened the door, they looked very sad and depressed. I said, why are you here so late at night? And Mike began to describe for me, he says, Jeff, I've been struggling with suicidal thoughts again. I want to give you my gun so I won't be tempted to use it on my real hard days. So I took his gun and invited him in. He said, Mike, where have these thoughts been coming from? He began to explain to me, he said, Jeff, when I was five years old, my father put me on top of a wall. He stood at the bottom. He stretched open his arms, said, son, I love you. Jump to dad. I jumped, and he stepped away. My body hit the ground. And my father looked down at me and said, son, I know this hurts now, but this is to teach you a very important lesson, that no one in this world is worthy of your trust. People will disappoint you. God, authority figures mainly. So I'm recommending, son, close down your heart and don't feel any longer, and you will never be hurt. And Mike said, I did what my father said. He was my hero. And to be honest with you, Jeff, I haven't been hurt since. But here's the bad news. I haven't also felt love since. Sometimes you and I, when pain hits us over the years, we don't like the feeling and we close down our heart or live in denial of that pain in hopes of protecting ourselves. And yet we wonder, why am I not feeling the love of God or the love of my friends or the love of my wife? Because Mike says, my wife and I, our marriage isn't working. I can't trust or love her. Please somehow help me. So we prayed. The next morning, in that particular discipleship training school, we had a teacher that none of us had met before. My friends, uh, the British couple I was telling you about, who came the night before, they were sitting up front. The speaker was telling a bunch of jokes. Everybody was laughing. And I was sitting back there praying, God, would you show Mike your heart for him. He hasn't felt emotions in years and years. Somehow would you transform him, and somehow would this lady quit wasting time by telling a bunch of jokes? I go, I'm paying her to come. (laughs) When suddenly she was joking and all of a sudden looked at Mike and Sarah and got very serious and pointed to him and said, excuse me, sir, why are you laughing when inside your heart is breaking? Why are you laughing when last night you were contemplating suicide? God, your Father, wants you to know today he stands at the bottom of the wall of your life. And with his arms outstretched to you, he says, Son, I love you. Jump to me, son. I am worthy of your trust. 
jump, son, jump. And for the first time, and I don't know how many years, he crumbled to his knees and began to weep and weep and weep. As God removed his heart of stone and gave him a heart of flesh. Are you struggling with feeling with a full heart, a heart that's alive? Is there a lock up inside that maybe you even had prayer for and maybe you've seen some growth in, but still it hasn't changed? And you see other people emotionally engaging with God, and you're almost like, that's me on a real good day, but that's not common for me to feel his emotions. It could very much be because the neural networks of your mind has been steered a certain direction that it no longer knows how to transmit that emotion to that right part of your brain any longer. For a while after the event with Mike, I mean, he told me, Jeff, whenever I see a wall or a child standing on a wall, it triggers that memory. And it makes me feel like um, angry makes me feel bitter, makes me feel like I'm missing out in life every time I see a wall and a child or anyone sitting on it. So after that incident of initial healing, Mike contacted me later and he said, for weeks I had to look at the words of what she said and imagine God embracing me as I jump off the wall. And now I understand and have the language as to how God caused a permanent healing in his life, is the neural networks of his mind had to be reminded through practice and the power and presence of God to think differently, because unless, well, well, wherever there's a change of heart, there needs to be a change of mind. But we need practice for change and transformation to become ours. You with me, everyone? We're going to watch an illustration in a moment. Because as I've been praying for our time together, I feel that as a people and as a church, God has you on a special journey of learning how to be loved by him. And in that journey of learning how to be loved by him, we do have to take moments of looking at our thought life and seeing, and even at our life, our narrative, our story. And seeing how things of the past may still be negatively affecting our ability to receive and give love. In a moment, I'm going to show you an illustration. But before I do so, um, Cameron, could you put up the verse from the book of Romans, please? This verse we were talking about last night. And do you mind reading this out loud for us? Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you doing with life and peace as a way of thinking? Does that describe your relationship with God on a daily basis? Yes, we have moments where it doesn't. But God's dream for his children is to bring us to a greater place of life and peace. Then will we not only receive his love and give it to the world, but will be a people who are a powerhouse, silent revolution to the world, that they'll look at us and see the only people in the world who have free minds to contemplate him and to love one another. Don't we want to go there, friends? 
but the neural networks of our mind, for some of us, probably most of us, at least in one case or another, need to be changed and rewired. There's many books and writings out there from men and women of God and, and Chris and teachings that you'll be doing here, I, I'm sure will, will help that, prog that um, process um, either begin or continue in your life. But in a moment, you're going to see a little girl who's angry. She's angry because her father is being made to go to war. He's being forced to go. He has a deep love for his family and for his little girl. He knows that she is going to be hurt that he's leaving. He doesn't know what to do with that. But he kneels beside her in her anger and in her frustration when she's closed off her heart, not allowing herself to feel anything. She just says goodbye. That's kind of it. He wants to embrace her. He reminds me a bit about God, who never forces his embrace on us, who never makes us feel him. He gives us a choice. It's always the free will choice that causes us to step into the embrace of God and to be awakened to it. He looks at his little girl and says, give me a word, just something from your heart. She can't do it. She's are we carrying anything today, either from our past or this week, that is limited or is limiting your ability to experience the emotions God has for you? Is there a lockup? He only waits for our one word. We don't have to strive to get the feeling. We just need to take the risk and step of humility and say, I've had this anger or I've had this disappointment with God or another person, or maybe this depression and sadness, a way of thinking I don't want to have, but I do have. We just need to mention the word of hope and need for God, and he always responds. So as we watch this scene, take note when the, when the little girl makes a meaningful choice for her father, so is God's challenge at the end of our morning this morning. What meaningful choice are you ready to make for him regarding an issue or a way of thinking that you know is alienating you from an experience of God's emotions for you? Make sense, everybody? Any questions? Let's watch the scene. Susan. Goodbye. Just one more to tell my one.
silence we hear is whisper. I am so happy to have you as mine. But if we haven't heard that in a long time, or even a week or two weeks, part of our hearts become dry inside. And the mountain and the solidness of a way of thinking and a way of loving and living escapes us. If it's been a long time since you have felt the embrace of God, or have heard his whisper of how he feels about you. And you want to say, yeah, that's me. I want prayer this morning that there'll be no way of thinking that separates me from an experience of the love of God. As Romans says, nothing will, will can separate us from the love of God, but many things can separate us from an experience of that. This morning you want to say, I don't want that way of thinking, or I don't want to be a product of a hurt that is done to me in the past before. But I want to have a heart that's open to have my identity in how he embraces me and what he says about me. If that's you this morning, you want prayer for that to be removed or a change in your life, that you could be more open to experience how he feels about you something that I know your heart aches desperately for. If that's you, go ahead and lift up your hand so we can end with a time of prayer. 